Hey there, my name is Valentin Umbach, and you're listening to Analytics Anonymous, the show where I talk with analytics leaders and practitioners about the challenge of making better decisions with data. And today I'm joined by Yekaterina Kokatjua. Yekaterina, or Katja, as I will call her, um, works as a freelance consultant in data and analytics. And I'm super happy to have you with me today, Katja. Hi, hi, Valentin. Also super happy to, um, to, to, to be here today. And thank you for the invitation. Great. So, um, Katja, maybe um, to get started, you can tell me and the listeners a little bit about yourself. Um, so what are you doing right now? And maybe also your background, what you, um, your career path, what you did before. Sure, sure. Um, right now I help CMOs and CFOs extract value from data and from analytics. This is like a short liner um, of what I'm doing. In the end, um, I serve as a on-demand analyst and on-demand data team helping um, business partners to understand what KPIs to look at, how to steer the business, how to understand the business performance, but also being hands-on building the whole infrastructure. Um, so it's kind of a combination of two worlds, business analyst, um, but also being um, and strategic analyst, but also helping um, on um, to do the hands-on work if it's needed again. And uh, um, on the first, I started doing it on the 1st of September. Before that, I was uh, two years in a direct-to-consumer brand here in Berlin, helping, again, building the whole BI from scratch, the whole team from scratch, and uh, um, established marketing analytics, and also helped fundraising. Before that, I tried to build my own company in fintech space, um, in compliance, the most unsexiest thing ever, and I decided not to go to fintech again anymore. And before that, I was in Zalando Payments doing machine learning for payment fraud prediction. So um, heavy lifting of uh, um, infrastructure for the whole data science and also like real time uh, predictions. And before that, um, funny enough, I was in research for I did my master and bachelor degree in bioinformatics and uh, was uh, worked in several research centers across Europe here in Berlin in Charité in the University of Manchester and also in Barcelona in the Center of Genomic um, Regulation. So I made like this funny jump from um, working with data in the research, then jump to business. Um, I have seen lots of things in data area as like, again, data science, machine learning, AI, uh, BI, um, data, pure data engineering, mm -hmm. marketing analytics, business analytics. So I kind of covered almost all aspect, aspects of, of data and that's where I feel I feel most confident as like knowing um, on the surface what is what is happening but I never never specialized in anything and I don't want to specialize in anything because mm -hmm. I believe um, for me it's more important to connect the dots between the data and the business again and be able like to, to understand both sides so thanks for for giving this overview um, of, of your career and it's it's quite a, a wide, you know, breadth of ex experience that that you have in different fields, and um, you know, when you mentioned you you're coming from a research background, I think this is this is quite a a, a common thing. At least I've, I, I I know quite a few people who are coming from from such a background and then later going into data, myself included, <laughs> to be honest. So I'm I come from a neuroscience uh, research background. Um, and um, yeah, but also the different types of industries and, and, and roles, more technical, more strategic that you've worked with. And of course, I'm, I'm really curious to, to learn more about how all of that now translates into your work as a, a freelance consultant. Um, and um, but before we go into that, maybe um, a few a few questions about some of the steps that you just mentioned in your career. So. Um, the first one that just uh, you know um, stuck out to me is this comment that you made about oh, you don't want to work in fintech again in a fintech company. Like, can you maybe explain a little bit what you mean by that? 
<laughs> yes, maybe let's put it this way. I have some fintech clients. I'm super happy to help them out because I understand the terminology. When they tell me KYC, KYB, I know exactly, and compliance, I know exactly what they mean. So like I can speak their language there, but I would can you, never... Sorry, yeah. sorry to interrupt because because i'm stupid can can you explain it to me what they mean <laughs> yes kyb kyc it's an um, it's a process that almost all financial institutions needs to go through to um and the, the it stands for know your business know your customer and normally it is like um video identification um with the passports where you need to provide uh, for the custom for the um, normal customers and for KYB, so know your business there, where they need to provide the information about the business, who are the stakeholders there, and who are the managing directors to do the background, basically background checks that mm. uh, every financial institution need to go through to understand that um, their customers are not fraudulent um, and uh, are not involved in the money laundry, for instance. Um, and that's and that's and that's and that's super interesting for them because like when they tell those kind of abbreviations, then I know immediately what they mean, and they don't need to explain me that. But this comes exactly from this background that I was again in Salado Payments, and then I tried to build um, the company in fintech space. And what I meant that I don't want to go back. I don't want to <laughs> build a company in fintech because mm. it's highly regulated. And again, I went into compliance, which is the most a regulated thing in the whole fintech um, and that's that's where I felt like okay that's too many regulations you can't deviate you can't kind of break the rules because if you're breaking the rules then like you are it, 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 might, it might backfire a lot yeah. um, and that's and that's where I decided like um, for clients yes but me myself building the company in fintech um, no yeah. Okay. I, I fully understand that. I um, so we we don't have anything against fintech. Of course, there's great companies, but it's quite hard building building one. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, yeah. So Katya, I would I would love to know a bit about this transition that you made then last year into into working as a as a freelance consultant. I mean, maybe first, how did you? How did you come to that decision? How did you come up with that, this idea or, or decide to actually do it? Yeah, I think it's it was an interesting path. Um, basically, beginning of last year, I was already thinking like I was getting a bit bored um, and I was thinking about like what to do next. And then I chatted with my father and he was like, hey, just try to find um, clients while you're still at, uh, at, at Giti. Um, and then see how it goes. And I was like, yeah, but like this is this is lots of effort. How should I? Where should I find time to work for the clients and find the clients if I'm still full time at Giti? And and then my father was like, it's your problem. You go and figure it out. <laughs> and then uh, and then and then something happened. I went on a Bumble date um, with, <laughs> a, with, with a guy. It didn't work out on the personal side, but he was like, hey, I will invite you to a founders dinner. So I go to this founders dinner and I'm the only one who is not founder there. And then all the other ones are founders. And then um, one person would arrive super late. We would not talk to each other. But then after the dinner, I would um, add everyone on LinkedIn. And then this person with whom I didn't chat, um, he writes me immediately. Hey, Katya, we want to hire you. We need your profile. And I'm like, you can't hire me um, like I, if then only freelance. And in two weeks, he sends me a freelance contract for one day a week. And I'm still five days a week with Giti. And I'm like, mm. okay, how, how do I figure this out now? So I went, I went to um, Jenny, founder of Giti, and I explained to her, hey, I would love to learn more about how other companies are doing stuff and also help mm. them out and also develop myself more. Um, so I'm, we managed to agree on four days a week. And then I started freelance for this another company um, for one day a week. And I'm still with them. So like I've been with them for almost 11 months now. Um, and that's how it started. And then after a month, I realized um, I love this 
seeing different businesses, seeing mm. different people, working with different people, especially because I love this knowledge transfer, like from one industry to another. And that's like so funny because again, I was in the research and then I made this transition with all this, my knowledge that I had back then mm. to, to the business. And that's like what I love is like this, again, knowledge transfer. And then I realized, so I would love to do more of a freelancing and then, um, in a month time or two months time, I decided to quit. And then on the 1st of September, I was, I was out of, um, out of Gitti and mm -hmm. with, uh, with one client or like with two clients already. Okay. Okay. That's, that's good to know how basically you, you already had uh, some clients uh, that you were working with when you made that decision, um, that probably helped. I want to, I, I find it so funny, the story that you told about, um, using Bumble, um, to, for business development, basically, or finding, finding clients. Um, and I, I find it funny because, you know, I worked for many years in, for a dating app, uh, Lavoo, it's a German dating app. And, um, kind of one of, one of the things that I've, um, I've discovered is that, uh, any, um, I think any, any app or platform where you can talk to people and meet other people will be used as a dating app. You know, LinkedIn, I'm sure there have been many, many private dates that started on LinkedIn. Right. Um, and the same would be, you know, on, on any other social network. Um, and now it's funny just to think about that. A dating app can also be used for professional purposes. <laughs> exactly. And it's so funny because I had there also like um, that my profession is like data or head of data. And lots of people wrote me, hey, um, can we can we talk about hiring? Maybe not about not about personal like dating, but hiring. And I was like, this is interesting now. Uh, so like, I mean, if I would go that way, I would have gotten like maybe two two offers in the in the data space. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I want to ask you about how you now, how you go about finding new clients. Do you still use Bumble for that or, or, or what's your main way for finding new clients? <laughs> That's not scalable. Bumble is not scalable. <laughs> no. And this is, this is a good question because once I left Gitti, I had, uh, I had, to, uh, well, let's put it one and a half client, but that would not cover my bills. So, September, I went, I just went um, on a vacation and then I came back and in October I was sitting on my couch and I was like, I don't have clients. <laughs> like, I was like, how should I pay the bills? You know, like, and then it, because I never announced that I went now freelancing or consultant. So how should the world know about me? <laughs> um, and then I was a bit in a panic. Um, and then I decided, okay, let's concentrate where do i know the things the best i know direct to consumer brands the best because i was mm. at Gitti. um so maybe a bit of short introduction there Gitti is um, um selling um cosmetics beauty brand and um, started with the nail polishers and then now went into the whole skincare mm -hmm. um so i was like okay i know that that business model the best i know what kpis to look for or to look at and i know how to steer the business and i know what investors look when they evaluate the direct-to-consumer brands so i created a series of posts eight posts they're addressing direct-to-consumer brands and addressing analytics in direct-to-consumer brands and it was more like so each post um, with each proposal, I try to provide the value for, let's say, early, like first time founders of direct to consumer brands as what KPI to look at, mm -hmm. why to look at it, um, how often to look at it and what not to look at, for instance. Mm. Um, and then within those posts, um, they went, they went really good. I was really, I was, I was super happy with the, with the outreach there, with the reach there. And then I got two clients out of it. Um, then, um, I also, I mean, I'm, I have some friends who also have direct to consumer brands. So like they also did an introduction there. Mm -hmm. And now again, I started doing lots of LinkedIn uh, posts mm -hmm. and people, people reach out because again, but the, 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 the thing is there, I, one needs to nail the messaging so that the people mm. feel addressed so that like again cfo cmos feel immediately addressed that it's about them it's about their problems yeah yeah this is um this is very interesting i, I want to learn a bit more so you're using linkedin obviously a lot then um and and posting about um well the things that you know about um 
working before at, at Giti or, or other companies and, and how you can help them. Um, you're, I mean, I, I've also seen you a lot on LinkedIn. Um, I think that's where we, that's where we met. Um, and uh, one thing I want to know is um, what are the things that work well for you and, and or what's your strategy? Um, uh, because um, so I, I myself, I'm also, um, you know, active on LinkedIn, um, have been for a while uh, posting quite regularly and, But you have you have about four thousand followers, I think, um, which is about uh, twice as many as, as I have. So you're doing something right for sure. <laughs> Maybe you know something that I don't. Um, so I'm curious to know, like, what's your what's your strategy? What's your goal? Is your goal to grow followers, or what's your goal on LinkedIn, and how do you do it? My goal is to provide value, because with the value, everything else comes. Like the number of followers will grow, the number of likes only by this providing value. Um, and the, then the question is like, okay, Katya, how do you evaluate or measure the value? And this is, um, this I feel when people uh, reach out to me asking for my services, then I know mm. exactly like those, those uh, posts resonated with them. And mm. that's so funny because most posts that where I got Uh, potentially a uh, lot of leads were not the ones who got most of the likes mm. um, and that's I found really interesting um, because how like the only feedback that I have there that they reach out to me and then I when when we start working I just ask them hey how which which message which LinkedIn post uh, direct your attention and then they're like yeah something about business and I'm like okay but all my posts are also about business so And then I, I try to narrow down and then they, I also ask them, like, ex, um, explain me why exactly you reached out to me, what made mm. you reach out. And then they are, um, one of the clients was telling me, um, because uh, we figured out that you know that you have done it before and that you can do it really quickly now. Um, that's why we immediately reached out to you. And they, yeah. they felt addressed by the, um, by the pain point that I was trying to to tell in the, mm -hmm. in the post mm -hmm. okay that makes sense and i want to go more into into the like the topics that you that you talk about or that you specialize in but maybe just to stay a little bit longer on 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 the linkedin topic um uh because personal interest i'm sorry <laughs> i want to know about it sure. uh, do you follow any or like any um any guidelines any best practices there are there are a lot of people who um you know tell you or offer courses on how to you know be, be successful on LinkedIn in terms of what kind of format should your posts have um, what are good times to post how often you know should you use pictures or not things like that do you do you um, do any of that um, I mean I post in the mornings because I guess like one of the things and that especially like at 8 a.m because I I've read somewhere um, that the faster your post gets 100 engagement the mm. more probable it will go viral mm. and then if you post at 6 a.m everybody is still sleeping right so nobody is checking but like around 7 30 8 a.m yeah. people start to wake up so that's where they start seeing the post and that's where the probability that you will get 100 um, views mm. is like is the highest so mm. this this is the one and then I mean, with the pictures, I guess, I don't know, like if you check out my, uh, my posts, this series of eight posts that I was talking about in October for the mm. consumer brands, they were only with my selfies. And this was so terrible for me because like, I'm not a selfie person. I'm not a picture person. And then um, one of my friends, the, the one who helped me um, review the review. Oh, I also like asked my friends to review my posts. Mm -hmm. um, because then they immediately tell me, hey, Katya, we don't understand this, we don't understand this. And then I know, okay, my audience will not understand it either. And then one of my friends told me, like, Katya, you understand, right? If you start posting it, you need to post your pictures as well. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. So I did some kind of selfies. I dragged some, uh, some, some pictures from the previous uh, vacations. Uh, I like... <laughs> Like you see, I struggled. I struggled still, and I struggled um, a lot. Um, but now I'm also like moving away from. Like sometimes I will post one selfie mm -hmm. just so that people also say it's like my my face with with my post, right. you know, so that they remember the face as well. Right. Um, but I decided not to spam them with my 
Instagram photos, you know, I'm like, okay, mm. LinkedIn is also not the platform for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, super interesting. I mean, um, my my personal experience with that is, first of all, the timing. Yeah, I, I have the same uh, experience that posting in the morning. I post, I think, at 7.15 now is my time. I, I use a, a scheduler. So that's, that's maybe another question if you use a tool. Do you use a tool for, for posting or post directly no. on LinkedIn? No, I mean, like LinkedIn has those schedules. But then before that, I also, I would just put the alarm, wake up early, post <laughs> okay. it, then go to okay. sleep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, interesting. Yeah, no, so I use, a, I use a tool to schedule it. And I usually prepare posts for a full week um, on the weekend. And then I don't really do it uh, every day. But um, seven fifteen is not a time that I'm trying to go with. Um, works works fairly well, but not as well as, as your posts apparently. And I don't post as many pictures maybe as you do. But I, I noticed that the the thing that I noticed with my picture posts were they got a lot of engagement, but um, only from the people like that I really know in real life. So more like friends and colleagues. Um, which is not helpful in growing your audience or getting like new people to to meet you. Um, but it's maybe also the type of content that that I post when I post pictures is mostly more personal stories that I that I would share, um, and uh, and not you know not not so much data related. Um, yeah, so I want to go back to to the content of the the topics that you actually post, but then also maybe you know that you offer to to clients. Um, because what what struck me a bit when, when you explained this, um, these series of eight posts that you started with is they were related to a, a, f a type of business, a business model and um, that you were familiar with, the direct-to-consumer. Um, and I think this is really interesting because it's not a, a technical angle or technical perspective that you're taking. Like this is, um, for example, talking about the, the best tools to use the best approach to like um how you um well a lot of the discussion in the data space is is very you know um focused on tools focused on technical things focused on like how do you maybe how do you build a data team but all very generic they're not specialized to one type of business but i think most most um business uh, owners or you know the people that would want to hire a consultant or maybe uh, hire a new data team they have very specific problems that are different from other companies right so a, a b2b SaaS business has very different um, considerations a fintech or or a direct to consumer or you know a like a freemium mobile app like the one that i'm working at right now at komoot which has um you know many millions of users but most of them do not pay so it's a, like all very specific business models and yeah i'm i'm curious how much are you taking that angle like you focus on the business type that you know or how much are you more um applying you know let's say some technical skills to any type of business yeah and um, so i realized um on linkedin i was super broad at the very beginning so my my message was i help CEOs and CFOs um, build actionable analytics. And that mm -hmm. was some t a bit too broad for some people, for some businesses. So I decided, like, let me focus just on the niche. And the, for now, the niche, a direct-to-consumer brand. But then, funny enough, also um, apps reach out to me or, like, mm -hmm. SaaS reach out to me. So, like, because they still feel um, sometimes uh, um, the posts that I directly... Uh, want to address direct to consumers, so they also resonate with other businesses. Mm. Um, so, for instance, one was um, something like um, I have a, I had a post. Companies have um, the data to succeed, but they don't know, but they struggle how to make use of the data, mm. right? And this is exactly resonates with lots of people immediately. Although I'm always I was always focusing on this direct to consumer brand, like on the niche. Um, so that the niche feel addressed. And then, and that's, and that's also another thing is that, you know, today I, I can focus on this direct to consumer brand, but tomorrow I can focus on SaaS and mm. uh, in, in, in two days I can focus on the app and like make the message more addressable to them. Um, that's why I like my profile, like I'm broad in spectrum mm -hmm. of like understanding the KPIs. And that's so funny. Some of the, um, now one app t to ask me like, hey, Katya, what are direct-to-consumer KPIs? Um, because we also need that. 
<laughs> so mm. they also did the link that like p- the knowledge can be transferred. Mm. Um, so this is with the um, with the LinkedIn post, and that's the thing. Like my some of my posts are also for data people, but my audience is not the audience that I want to address are not the data people. The audience that I want to address are business people. Yeah. Okay. That I think I think that that's that's super helpful to to think about that audience and. I mean, just when I, sorry, always come back to my own um, LinkedIn posting and I don't have the same goal that you have. I don't, I'm not trying to sell anything. Um, you know, I'm not offering consulting. I'm, I'm, I'm working as a, you know, leading the analytics team at Komoot and I'm happy there, but I still enjoy, you know, sharing content and creating content and engaging with the community. But I think I'm more addressing the data community than, yes. than, um, than any, than people who would buy a consulting service, I suppose. Um okay. Exactly. And that's the thing, right? Like um, for th- th- that's where I also felt addressed by your post because I'm a data person. So like <laughs> all the all the especially like there was this post about like how to work with a data analyst or something or like how not to work. Right. I felt immediately addressed. I was like, this is like this is my problem, everyday problem, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that's and that's the question. Exactly. Like um, data people, if you are addressing data people. Um, how can you bring value to them? And mm. that's exactly the what you're doing also with the with the tools, like which tool right. to use, why to right. use, why not to use. Mm. But then um, um, the the question is like, what is, what kind of value are you bringing with your post then to the data people so that their life is easier? Right, right, exactly. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so I wanna I wanna you know, move one step further to, to my, once you get to, you know, um, get to have a new client, you work, you, you have a, um, uh, an offer and, and you, um, the client, the client, um, hires you basically to, uh, to do some work. What kind of projects do you work on? Is it, is it, um, typically the same type of projects or yeah, is it, is it more technical? Is it maybe more strategic, more consulting? How much hands-on work do you do? At the beginning, it was everything. It was um, strategic. It was consultant. Um, it was hands-on and like big projects, like really building the BI from scratch. Um, that were also small things, like automating um, something for their tax advisors. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's it's rather it's almost everything. Um, but what I decided now to focus on is that um, I'm also building a data agency right now. So, and I want to be, I mean, consultancy was never the, the goal. Consultancy was, or freelancing was just the step in the, uh, the foot in the door to figure out what I want to actually do, like with my life in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I'm building um, data agency and analytics agency. And there, the split is that all hands-on is being done uh, by the data agency. And I'm helping more understand what really the business needs because again um the 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 business the hardest part in this everything is the business question like to ask really good business question and sometimes business people are lost which is completely fine and that's where i'm there to help them out and then also build a bit of a strategy as what to look at and how to implement this on the data side and the implementation it can be again on-demand analysis or it can be on-demand infrastructure building so um, that are kind of two mode mod modi that we that we operate right now right. and i'm i'm not i i i can't build the infrastructure i don't enjoy that <laughs> and um, i love more to be again the sparing partner with the business to understand what kpi to look at why to look at it and how to do also the forecasting um but then also implementing the analysis implementing the bi uh, or the infrastructure is being done by the data agency yeah okay i mean it i think um you're absolutely right the 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 most important thing is always first to the to to figure out what is the right question to ask what's the right what um solutions do we even need to look at um you know before we implement anything um what is important for the business and this is the hardest part to find out so yeah this um I can definitely see see the value there. I'm super curious to hear a bit more about this data agency that you're building. If you can share, like what like what does it mean? Are are you building a, a company, a team? Do you have people that you work with? How does it look? 
Yes, it's still a bit in stealth, but yes, um, there are two additional people um, mm -hmm. in the team. Um, and it, it, will, it, it is a company, it will be a company, mm -hmm. or it is a company. Well, <laughs> there, right. uh, it's still, that's why it's still in stealth. But yeah. um, yes, it is at, like there are three people now. Mm -hmm. um, and we are acting again as a, and, th and that's like so hard for us as well to understand our USP because we can do so much stuff because um, to um, other people, mm -hmm. um, one was director of engineering, another one is a senior uh, data product manager. So, you know, like, mm -hmm. and, th and then me coming with this whole uh, knowing about everything, not knowing about anything in depth. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... And, and that's so funny, like our profiles are, we, we match perfectly on the things that we don't know. So because mm -hmm. the other part like just substitutes for that. Mm -hmm. um, and there we can offer so much. And that's where we also struggle to understand our USP. But I guess right now we managed to um, come up with the message as like we, um, we help CMOs and CFOs extract value from data. And then it can be, again, on-demand analysis on customer segmentation, on customer analytics, customer lifetime value, uh, marketing analytics, customer behavior in general. And it can be on-demand data team who bootstrapped the whole data warehouse, bootstrapped the whole infrastructure. Yeah, super interesting. Would you say that, you know, if you have, whether you're just a consultant by yourself as one person or you're working with an eight, as an agency as, as you're as you're doing now or starting to do now are you working more with companies that um that just don't have any data team internally maybe they don't, they don't have any dedicated person or are you maybe also um, working with people or companies who do have that but they're somehow struggling to be effective uh, or, or both 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 um because sometimes Data people doesn't have just capacities. Um, the in internal data team doesn't have capacities, or how the whole data team is set up is also not efficient. So basically, you know, like business users are asking them, "Hey, we need this, this, and this." So there is zero prioritization. Um, there is um, zero structure in the roadmap. So that's why mm -hmm. they struggle, and that's where um, we come and we do this on-demand analysis. But we also help the data team to be more efficient as regarding prioritization but that's and that's so funny this is not working with the data people that's working with the business people to tell mm -hmm. them hey sorry but this is a second priority request we will take it maybe in a two months time only we have if and if, if it has the priority so right yeah. and it's again it's not it's not about help like structuring the data team it's helping the business understand how to work with data if they want to be efficiently there and but this indirectly helps the data team as well yeah yeah i understand do you do you have any um common problems that you see you know with with uh clients or companies that you work with that you know that you uh, encounter over and over again like this is a thing that a lot of companies have the same problems or is it always very different very unique I think so I think one common one is that there's lots of data again and people struggle to make use of it so because mm -hmm. um, people google like okay what are the main KPIs that we need to look at but this is like you know of course you can get the answer from google but this is like this chat GPT it's average it's average knowledge and mm -hmm. it's not the the insights that are really matter. So for instance, for retention or for mm. CRM um, channel, mm. um, like what ChatGPT will tell you and Google will tell you, look at the open rate of your Clevio emails. Mm. But this is not the goal. The goal of CRM is for instance, increase um, returning revenue. What mm. does this mean? The AUV of returning customers should be high, and also number of orders that those customers, the returning customers, are placing should be high. So, mm. and this is not common knowledge, kind of. You know, mm. it takes time to figure this out. And even the repurchasing rates, that's I also don't believe, kind of, that this should be the metric. I again believe the um, returning revenue should be the metric because it doesn't matter if you have small amount of users there, but if they are re um, generating lots of revenue, then you you manage that. Um, and that's where 
because there are lots of KPIs, there are lots of metrics that we can measure, but companies struggle to understand, to really understand like what is the most important thing now. Mm, and that's yeah. where basically they also ask me, hey, Katya, how, for CRM, what do we need to focus on? And then I know exactly like my answer there because like I've done that already several times. Um, yeah. The same for, um, for instance, some of the companies want to look at a daily ROAS, return on investment or CAC. And I'm mm -hmm. like, so what will you do with this daily data? Like you will not steer your marketing based on the daily CAC. Right. You need to look at the um, like weekly maybe CAC or monthly CAC. Um, and that's where, again, like they are getting lost a bit and like what to look at. Yeah, yeah. I just, um, if, if, if there are some people listening who don't know all these, uh, um, Oh, all yes. these abbreviations maybe maybe explain just a few of the the ones that you used CAC and ROS and yes uh, yes sorry sorry yeah um so ROS is basically um revenue divided by marketing spend so for each dollar that you spend in marketing how much revenue do you get because mm -hmm. if you spend let's say 1 million in marketing but you get only 500,000 as revenue you know that your marketing is not doing good. Something is inefficient there. Um, CAC, it's customer acquisition costs. It's um, marketing spent divided by new customers. So you want to have it also low. You don't want to pay for a customer like 500 euros uh, because then if you pay 500 euros and your um, average order value is like 10 euros, it will take so much time for this mm -hmm. customer to pay back, uh, to come from like from non-profitable customer to profitable customer. Right. Um, and that's the thing people like tend, companies tend to look at the daily or even hourly ROS and CAC. And I'm like, you know that, especially in direct to consumer brand, I don't buy immediately. I might have seen a marketing campaign yesterday, but it will take me like maybe three days to buy. That's why this daily metrics sometimes like don't make any sense, but it takes time to educate people like what really to look at. Because again, ChatGPT tells them one thing or Google tells them one thing and then you're like, yeah, but this is not the truth at the end of the day. That's not the real knowledge. Mm, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I see that this this common problem that a lot of companies even struggle to to know what are the right questions to a to ask what are the right numbers to look at and it that's way before you implement any technical solutions they might have the data they might have the tools even but but that doesn't solve the problem the, and and the knowledge that you bring is a lot of this um this business knowledge this context that you've worked in similar businesses before and because you've worked in different businesses i, I think this gives you a lot of uh, insights into different business models and what are useful metrics uh yeah exactly and valentine that could be also a potential for your linkedin post is like how to make data people more business savvy right mm. like to push back a bit and like not think about the infrastructure, but rather, hey, what is important for the business and how to like three steps, how to bring value <laughs> to the business as a data person. Yeah, I fully agree. I, it's a great idea. And I I mean, as you know, as a data person uh, leading data teams and having worked as data analysts as well in different places, I know that the, the biggest value that uh, a data analyst or any data person, I guess, can bring to the business is helping them um, look at the right data, look at the right information and make better decisions in the end. So it's, and to do that, we need to understand the business problems. We need to understand, uh, how the business works, you know, the business model. I think this is probably for the best data analysts that I know are not maybe necessarily the strongest, you know, technical, uh, in, in terms that they, they have the, you know, of course they need to be able to, to write SQL, I guess, and maybe, maybe even some, some other languages they need to be able to use some some of the tools how to work with the data warehouse and you know create visualizations and, and all of these skills but those are not i think the key to being really effective and impactful is to understand the business and understand you know um what are the drivers in you know in ultimately in revenue and what, what are the things that lead up to that and 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 then how to explain that in a way that you know other business users stakeholders understand it and can make use of it. 
Exactly, exactly. And this is like, and I'm wondering like how, how you do it as well at Kamut, like how you mm. as a head of data and analytics, how do you make you, your team more efficient and effective there? Yeah, I can tell you a bit about that. So um, the model that, we, that we've set up at uh, Komoot and the analytics team is also similar to what um, we had at Lavu. I mentioned that before I worked at uh, another app for many years in the past. Um, we have this, what I would call a hub and spoke model of our team. We have a centralized um, platform team where we build you know, the infrastructure. It's a smaller, smaller part of the team. We build um, you know, our data warehouse, um, build, you know, connect to all of the different data sources build our underlying data models with tools like dbt um, and and provide that you know in, in in the form of dashboards in the end to to stakeholders that's kind of the central part but um this is more well i i call this whole piece of the work data enablement so we basically we just enable people to look at the data this doesn't tell people what to look at this is just giving the tools so that's the one part and the second part is um we have right now in the team four data analysts. They sit in like they are embedded in a each in a different business team, and they are they spend the whole time only in that team. So in a product development team or a marketing team, let's say, and they this is really a, their full time job is to work with a product manager, for example, um, to understand exactly how the app works, how um, you know users are behaving in. Um, in that part of the app that this team is working on, let's say um, in, in Komoot, this is an app where um, users can discover tours that they can do outside, you know, either hiking or cycling. Um, and uh, and then also, you know, navigate that tour and share that with their friends. So that's what Komoot is about. And um, so one important part of this is discovering tours. You know, this can be tours that have been shared by people you know. It can also be auto-generated using, you know, just all the information that we have from other other users, so we can auto generate some tours. But we can also um, we also have some, uh, I would say, curated um, you know content that um, is either created by by our team or so not not the analytics team, but by our company um, or people that we hire or you know also partners. Um, so there's a lot of different sources for this content, and and we we want to understand you know how we can optimize this this content basically that we recommend to people in order to, um, you know, get more people to actually go outside and go on a tour. That's our, that's our goal. Yeah. And so, um, and this is especially important if we go to a new, um, to new markets where obviously, um, you know, this whole, this whole model that I just described, um, this whole content is kind of like a flywheel. So we, the more people we have going out, doing tours, posting tours, sharing content, the more content we have for new users so that like once we are um we have a good user base it's kind of kind of self-driving i would say but it's really hard if you go to a new market right because there's this you have this problem that there's no content nothing to recommend so users are kind of left by themselves and so um it's really important like we there, there are different ways how you could you know work on that and um come up with a strategy to, so you need to create some content to kind of kickstart that, but how do you do that? What type of content works best? Um, so what type, what type of tours should we, should we build? Like, where should we do that? Um, and so this really, um, for, for a problem like that, that's just one example. It's really useful to have a very deep understanding of, um, how users use our product, how, um, it, how it works in different markets where it's more like more developed or less developed and um, what kind of data I should look at and then come up with some very specific kind of data driven recommendations. Okay, we should, for example, um, spend this much money on creating like on paying some some freelance editors to create content for us. But in this specific region um, or this specific region and this type of content. And um, so this is one thing that a data analyst who works with that product manager on this specific product can can do they can move basically help move the whole team from some intuition that they have okay we think this content performs well this is this is our our idea to something that is very much based on on you know the data that we have and um in the end 
performs much better. So we've had a lot of success um, by, you know, adapting, adjusting, and really, you know, um, basing all of our strategy on, on analysis and, you know, insights that we got from the data. But this requires the analyst to be very, very close to the business and really understand the product and the data and, you know, the goals and, um, and the business model. Yeah. So the way we do it is by having these um, dedicated embedded analysts who can really focus on a specific business problem on a specific area of the business and all of the uh, all of the data that, that comes with it. Because, you know, like another analyst who works in marketing will deal with completely different type of data, let's say, you know, and and will can make use of that um, you know, knowledge, domain knowledge. So that's, that's the approach that we take. And it's, I think it's, uh, it's really successful. Um, and I also think that this is again, like coming back to what we, um, said before, like what is the strength of a really good data analyst is really being able to, um, to translate from the business requirements into some, some, you know, data question that they can answer with data and then get some results and some insights and then kind of translate that back into recommendations uh, to the to the business um, stakeholders and um, yeah being a kind of an internal consultant actually I think yeah. that's that's how I think of a good data analyst is kind of an um, thought partner uh, and uh, a trusted advisor an internal consultant to let's say a product manager or a marketing manager or maybe a CFO or, or a CEO or whoever it might be um, yeah so that's that's kind of my my two cents on that sorry went a bit long <laughs> no 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 yeah exactly i completely agree it's like for me again this analyst is like a sparing partner to the business person but also the one who can you know like go again in dbt or into the data warehouse and uh, quickly get the data transform the data to answer the business question so that's uh, like this technical knowledge plus this sparing partner on the on the business level completely agree there yeah Right, right, right. Um, okay, I have a, um, just maybe one or two more questions, Katya, um, because I see like we could probably talk much longer, but um, we're already uh, coming up on, on our time. Um, uh, one, one question. So when, when you start working with a, with a client um, as a consultant, as a freelancer now, you know, whether by yourself or within, within, with the agency, how do you scope a project? So how, how do you know how big the project is? What you offer to the to the client? Um, how, how do you think about that? Um, normally, I would just let them speak as what they don't like, what they want to achieve, what are the expectations, um, and there I already start like have a feeling. Okay, will it be a really big thing, or is it will it be like a small thing? You know, like again, if somebody tells me. Um, Katya, we, um, we don't have BI, we want to have clean data, then I know immediately, okay, that's also the infrastructure together with the data warehouse, DBT, and then visualization tool. Um, if someone tells me, hey, Katya, we don't, we don't know uh, what our CAC is, or we don't know, again, customer acquisition cost, or Katya, we don't know um, specific answers to the questions, um, then I know that that might be a bit smaller, um, smaller project. And uh, we normally agree on the on the first steps, and like within basically several days, I start. I, I chat with the team. I chat again with the C level, with the marketing team, and then I come up with the roadmap. And then like we iterate over this roadmap as like this is too much, this is too little, or we offer also um, workshops. And then like they also tell me, hey, that's too much, that's too little. Let's take it a bit slower. So it's always like this um, mm. interaction with the client and like understand. And that's the process. Understand what what is needed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. And and a bit related maybe to that. Um, and you don't need to tell me any numbers, of course, but how do you know how much you should charge? You know, like how do you figure out how much you should charge a client for your work? Um, so it's, I tend to think about this more as like, what value do I bring on the, yeah. to the table? You know, mm. right. Um, and like how this value helps them steer the business better. Uh, and uh, yeah, based on this. 
Mm, yeah, that okay, that makes a lot of sense, of course. And this is, I guess, the the idea that is so interesting when people think about moving from you know a full time job into freelancing. At least in my in my mind, that that's one of the aspects that you move away from the purely let's say you're being paid for your time to you're being paid for a certain result for a certain outcome that that provides value exactly and uh, in the data space it's also really hard because um data is a mess it's mess everywhere and it's our it's our job to clean up and you never like um you only will know and how messed up everything is once you look at this like once you really start working with the data and see all the processes so before that it's really hard of course you can figure out from your experience like and ask people like the the c level what is there to be prepared but seriously 80 percent of the messiness you will only figure out while you work with this data and that's where of course it can the the project can explode immediately <laughs> right but that's that but that's where i also try to communicate that um it might something might take longer only because of the business processes that were created without thinking about how which impact it can have on the data hmm. and normally people understand it. people because they felt it as well that the data is a mess <laughs> yeah yeah of course i mean this is where also you know internal projects always they become much bigger because of this um you you have this idea even i mean i feel like the more experienced you are the more you know and you kind of expect this to happen but you n still you never know what the problems are gonna be <laughs> you, you you will discover some nasty data quality issues that you never thought about before <laughs> Exactly. And then you need to educate the team how to do that properly. And it takes time. Like education takes time. And this this also should be like and that's I also try to communicate to my to my customers that like um, it's not only on my side to clean it up, but it's also on their side, on mm. their team side to collaborate with me and that they will need to spend time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Katya, so we're already at time. I have just one last question before yes. we uh, before we finish is um, for people who are now listening to this conversation, maybe, and they are working in this field, you know, either as a data analyst, data engineer, analytics engineer, whoever it is, uh, whatever it is, and they are interested in, you know, um, this idea of going freelance. Um, is there anything that you would recommend to people who want to go the same path that that, that you just did? Yes, two things calculated risk so don't just quit and then uh, and then um, decide what you want to do i would rather take an approach as my father suggested like being on the job now try to figure yeah. out how to get clients because it like it is just mental stability um and uh, it was really hard for me in October to understand like I don't have clients like it was mentally really hard so this calculated risk take calculated risk and the other thing um, also think about the customer acquisition how do you how will you acquire your customers and who are your customers mm. and how to target them um, and with that I also struggled and with that this will take time to to understand because it needs constant iterations and chatting with people yeah yeah, super valuable uh, tips for anyone who is interested uh, out there. I think, um, yeah, Katya, we're at the end of our episode. I extremely enjoyed this conversation. I'm super happy um, that we had the time to, to chat. Um, I hope that we also stay in contact um, in the future. And yeah, thanks again for, for coming here. Yes, and thank you for having me. And if you have any questions, please just shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to Analytics Anonymous. If you like the show, please tell your friends and co-workers about it. And don't forget to subscribe. Also, I always appreciate feedback. Every comment or review helps me to improve the show in the future. Feel free to reach out to me directly via email or social media. Take care. Until next time.